This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. The legends are true! But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? All right, Ryan, let's get into it here. Uh, tell me about the box office for this this long, I guess, President's Day weekend. How did uh, the two, the big two movies that we were sort of anticipating, how did they perform? Bob Marley's uh, One Love and then Madam Web. Yeah, so um, not only did we have President's Day, both of those movies you're talking about opened midweek on Valentine's Day. So you kind of had like this six-day stretch that the movies were kind of their initial window. So... Bob Marley One Love uh, topped the charts. It made $28.6 million over the weekend, but um, it did exceedingly well. It made $52 million over the first six-day stretch, which was much, much more than industry expectations. We were looking at maybe 40 you know, before. I, I think even that was optimistic, so it did really well. Um, as far as its total global rollout, it also made nearly $29 million overseas. So it's at uh, just about $81 million. Um, I was a little nervous because the budget was revealed to be like $70 million, which I, I was kind of hoping it was closer to Rocket Man at like the $40 million range. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like it's going to do well. Uh, critics were a bit soft on it, but um, it's got an A cinema score. So, I mean, people are all about it uh, as... Uh, uh, our very own Hannah pointed out in her write-up over the weekend, it had the biggest opening day ever in Jamaica for a movie. So, you know, like there's signs that this is 
uh, going to perform well outside of North America as well. So it, it did sort of give the box office a bit of a shot in the arm. However, this was still like the worst overall President's Day in almost 30 years. Wow. Uh, President's Day weekend, but um, but there was reason to be optimistic. But, but anyway, yeah. So that so that was a good thing. So swinging from the optimistic to the pessimistic, uh, you got to tell me about Madam Web. Oh, do I have to? Um, yeah, no. Uh, look, look. Uh, got, it was pretty obvious heading into the weekend this wasn't going to be good. I wrote up last week uh, after opening day. You know, Bob Marley, One Love, set a record for Valentine's Day, like a midweek opening. Madam Web did not. Um, Madam Web made fifteen point three million over the weekend and just twenty six point two million over that entire six day stretch. Um, it also made a twenty five point seven million overseas, so it is at like a couple nickels shy of fifty two million dollars worldwide. Um, there is a bit of contention over the budget on this one. Uh, the eighty million dollar figure has been reported quite a bit, but a recent Hollywood Reporter write up said it was closer to 100 million if not a little more now that's still on the cheaper side for a superhero movie but uh this has a i think a c plus cinema score which is very very bad uh cinema score sort of tracks actual movie goers and sort of anything below a b is going to suggest bad word of mouth uh so c plus is really bad especially for a superhero movie it's got like a 13 percent critical approval rating on rotten tomatoes which is quite a bit lower than even morbius um so this is really bad um no indication this thing's going to stick around. I, I expected gigantic drop next weekend. Um, you know, one that it could really ill afford based on these numbers. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe it gets to a hundred million worldwide against a hundred million dollar budget. Uh, you know, that's. I mean, that's. You know, that math doesn't really work out. And much like Morbius, it's only real shot at long term life is sort of becoming like a campy cult classic of sorts. Uh, you know, which it could happen, but I, it, on the short term, it, it, it's it's pretty grim. So, yeah, uh, that that's that's where we stand. Yeah, it was interesting because that Hollywood Reporter article basically said, like, this movie performed so badly that Sony is going to have to scrap its spinoff plans. And I, I was not aware that Sony had officially announced any like actual spinoff plans to make a movie centering on like the Sydney Sweeney character or whatever. And I, I don't think they ever did. I think they were probably holding their cards a little close to the vest there and waiting to see how Madame Wet did. But I think the um, results have basically just like put an arrow through the heart of whatever those plans might no. have been. Right. Yeah. They clearly didn't announce them, but like when you cast those people in those roles, the idea is, that's always possible, right? We've been dealing with superhero movies for over 20 years. That's just how these things work. Um, and then I think the idea was obviously you would maybe follow like a now in control of her powers, Cassandra Webb. And, and you know, yeah, then you could maybe do a Spider-Woman movie or whatever you were going to do. Like these things were on the table, but they are not now. Um, yeah. So uh, now it's just a matter of like how much loss do you mitigate? And more than that, I think the bigger question is like, why would Sony keep making these things? You know, Venom was the exception, not the rule. And Venom was Venom is one of Marvel's biggest characters, period, even though he happens to be like a Spider-Man villain. Mm -hmm. You know, most of these characters that they're trying to spin these movies off, they haven't like headlined even solo comics and stuff. You know, Venom has had tons and tons of comics on his own, you know, so I think that like you just have to look at the evidence and like Venom was maybe the one character they could do that with. And they sort of somehow escaped bad reviews to become like a, a crowd pleaser. But 
you know, something they're doing is not working. I'm not saying you can't turn characters that aren't necessarily popular yet into popular characters on their own, but what they're doing isn't working. And I think after Craven, they've got to just stop this. Like, or you have to get a new team in place. Like th- th- these, you're damaging the brand more than anything else at this point, right? Like, because you have to put that Marvel logo in front of these movies. Like, it's not helping. But I so, think Sony I actually um, is in a position where they're, they don't care if they damage the brand because there's so much brand confusion among, you know, normals out there, the regular people, regular moviegoers. They don't keep all this stuff in their minds about whether or not a certain movie is part of the Marvel Studios, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or whether it's Sony's weird spinoff thing. Like Sony probably no, I'm doesn't not saying really they care. Well, I'm not saying they care about that broader, but they, but like if the Marvel brand is tarnished overall, then if they have a Marvel movie coming out, it lowers the, it lowers it for them too. Yeah. You know, and it also sort of, they're, they're also loosely trying to connect this all to Spider-Man. And I think that like, that's their cash cow. So you can't really risk even fractionally tarnishing that in other people's minds either. You know, so, and I'm not saying it. I'm, Spider-Man transcends that, I think, but I'm saying you got to be careful about what you're doing. Yeah, no, I, I follow you there. I, I wonder if you think that they're so, so first of all, they're not just going to stop, right, because they have this lucrative um, license to the Spider-Man stuff. And like if mm. they I think it's like a they have to make a Spider-Man movie once every I want to say it's like five and a quarter years or something like that. They have to release a, a, a Spider-Man or Spider-Man related movie. Um Sometime, you know, don't quote me on those numbers, but it's something like that in the contract, right? And so if they don't do that, then the entire Spider-Man character and the um, all of the adjacent characters, I think it's literally 900 plus characters that are encompassed in Sony's license to Spider-Man and Spider-Man related things goes back to Marvel. And they're never going to do that because the Spider-Man movies, when they're uh, operating at the top of their game, can be billion dollar grocers and uh, are are huge, huge deals. So do you think Sony's move here should be to just stop with all of the spinoff stuff and just focus all of its resources on making Spider-Man movies that are like marquee and getting Tom Holland back and figuring out what the deal is with Spider-Man 4 or whatever they're going to end up calling it? Do you think that's the play on Sony's part now? It has to be at least for now, right? And and you can lean into the animated stuff too because that's doing well for them. But yeah, I think like, and I don't know. I mean, Tom Hardy's made it pretty clear that Venom 3 is it for him. So you can't even really, you know, keep doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like Spider-Man, you know, like, I mean, I think like you could maybe make like, I mean, it, it's tricky because you can't, I was going to say you can't even really do like a Joker movie with like Dr. Octopus because Doc Ock relies a little more on Spider-Man existing to actually work. And that's the thing. Like Spider-Man is one of the best rogues galleries in comics, if not the best, but they all do rely on existing in that universe with Mm Spider-Man. You know, there's like this great comic run called the superior foes of Spider-Man, which is sort of like a sinister six type thing, but it's like these villains that can't best him and they sort of team up and, and like you could do a great, I could envision like a great miniseries or a movie on that. But again, it relies on existing in that universe with Spider-Man. And I think that like clearly they don't want to overexpose Spider-Man by having him be in like six movies or casting six different Spider-Man. But, you know, then that leads you to this problem. So, yeah, I think they have to focus on the Tom Holland stuff, the animated stuff. I don't know how much longer Tom Holland's going to want to do it. So then what do you do after that? I don't know. But 
I think you just can't bite off more than you can chew and and they're going to end up not only losing money on these movies but they're going to they're going to tarnish things. So yeah, I think that's what they have to do. One man's would, opinion, but yeah. You know. I, I would think that this um the underperformance of Madam Webb and the sort of like general drop off of this plus the uh critical reception and audience reception to the the um uh, animated movies means that a live action Miles Morales movie might make a lot of sense to I know they've like hinted at that in some interviews and stuff Amy Pascal is kind of like you know danced around that subject a little bit but nobody's ever out and out said hey we have a live action Miles Morales movie in the works I but an, guarantee an you that's gonna happen like that yeah. would be my guess after Tom Holland because Tom Holland I I imagine after Secret Wars is done, I don't think Tom Holland, I think, I already kind of think Tom Holland doesn't want to do it anymore. Like, that's my feeling, but, like, I also think he knows that he kind of has to. And so, like, I think that, like, that would absolutely be what they would do next. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, if they made that announcement or something. Um, but, it, yeah, because I, I could see it both ways with the Tom Holland thing. I could see him just never coming back because the ending of um, No Way Home you know, just kind of leaves at a perfect time. And if you start, if you come back, then it seems like you're starting a whole new thing. And I don't know how much longer, like you said, Tom Holland wants to do this. I don't know how much he wants to like box himself into a whole nother thing. But anyway, uh, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But um, <laughs> I was kind of shocked to read this headline on SlashFilm.com, Ryan. Uh, a Russell Crowe movie you haven't heard of made the top 10 at the box office. And I'm like, wait a second, what? what, what is going on here? So tell me the story behind this. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if you were genuinely surprised, but that was kind of my angle, right? Because it's like, no, no, like this is a real thing. So Oscar winner Russell Crowe is in a movie called Land of Bad. Is it, an, it is an action movie that also stars not one, but two Hemsworths. Uh, both uh, Luke Hemsworth and Liam Hemsworth are in this movie. Um, and yeah, it's just a, just a pretty simple like military action flick. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but... Uh, it does very much seem like my kind of thing. This only came on my radar at the very end of last week because I get Hollywood Reporter email updates and their review popped up in my inbox and the headline of the review, I was like, oh, yes, that's for me, please. Um, and uh, yeah, so this ended up making like $1.8 million uh, in just over 1,100 theaters. So it actually had a pretty decent $1,600 per screen average, which is, you know, which is good. Like, that's respectable. So whatever theaters were playing this actually benefited from it. Um, and is $1.8 million going to change the narrative of the box office overall too much? Not really, but those theaters that had $1,600 worth of tickets sold and whatever and popcorn were certainly happy to do it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a f fun, weird little like, Oh, okay, cool. Hey, this happened. Um, and it kind of worked out because a lot of times you'll see these <laughs> things drop in a bunch of theaters and you know, it'll make like a few dollars and it's, it doesn't really, it, this one sort of worked out. So I don't know. It was kind of just like a weird, interesting thing to see. I don't, I saw no advertising for it and somehow it found its audience. Yeah. That's gotta be just like a, an after effect of the complete dearth of other stuff in theaters. But like you said, you know, at least it's, it's uh, helping the box office like uh, industry as a whole sort of churn along a little bit. So uh, I can't be too mad at it. I've, I, yeah, I've literally never. Well, and the film, right. the, yeah, and the filmmakers seem super stoked because I don't even know if they expected, you know, that much. And like the director said something like he found my article and found me on Twitter and said something very nice. He's like, thank you so much for the right. And he's kind of just like sharing details on the film. And I just don't think they were expecting. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's just kind of a fun like it's actually like a nice thing. Like and good for Russell Crowe finding this like weird blue collar um, portion of his career where he's like, 
taking movies like this or like the Pope's exorcist or like unhinged and like not looking down on them. Like he's do he's doing the movies and he's, and he, I don't know. I, I, I have like this weird, like charming respect for what's going on with Russell Crowe's career right now. It's kind of nice to see. Yeah. He's almost shifting into like Gerard Butler territory to a degree, maybe, maybe not quite as extreme, but, um, but yeah, that's, it's certainly a welcome change from some of the, I guess, more like forgettable stuff that he was doing, you know, in, in years past. So, um, yeah. So, I was just going to say, you have an article here about how Wonka has passed $600 million, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about. Um, I don't really know if we need to get too much into the weeds on that. Like, people can read the article to get all the details. But did you have anything you wanted to say about that real quick before we moved on to the next thing? Only thing I'll say is we've talked a lot about how younger movie stars aren't really as much of a thing. And so Timothy Chalamet very clearly asserting himself as a, as an actual movie star here. And... He's got Dune Part 2 hitting theaters in a little less than two weeks. And, uh, you know, I think we're about to see him star in two back-to-back movies that make over $600 million worldwide. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, Okay, so um, another piece of news that came up last week is that uh, Travis Knight, the director of Bumblebee, is the latest director attached to the Masters of the Universe movie, which seems to have been in development or development hell for... (laughs) I mean, it just seems like one of those movies, Brian, where like, you know, if you've been in this industry for a long time and writing movie news like I have, um, there are movies like this and like the Crow reboot slash remake and, um, you know, just movies that kind of feel like they will never, ever get made because it's just been like a decade plus of different people attaching and detaching from making the movie or whatever. And there have just been so many different announcements about a live action He-Man movie, basically, that uh, that I'm just kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll truly believe this when I see it. But Travis Knight, who directed uh, Bumblebee and Kubo and the Two Strings, he's also the founder and CEO of Leica, the um, stop motion animation studio. He's also the son of uh, Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike, who was played by Ben Affleck in Air last year, uh, is the, yeah, the, the latest director to be attached to this movie. So, um I don't know. Do you have like thoughts on Travis Knight as a director and whether you think he might be the person to actually get this thing over the finish line? I love Travis Knight as a director. Like I love, I will follow him where he goes. Uh, God, he was attached to something for a minute that had me excited. I forgot what, but anyway, he, uh, but I think the main thing is that like, yeah, this movie seems cursed. Uh, Like, I don't know what, I mean, Netflix sank, millions into this thing and and it didn't get made at Netflix. And I don't know, like there's been like four actors that have come and gone. Mick G was going to make this thing at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me. I've never been a big masters of the universe guy or like a He-Man guy, but something about Travis Knight doing it feels interesting. Like his sensibility, it, like Mick G doing it feels like, oh yeah, okay, that seems right in kind of the worst way. Whereas like this seems like, oh, okay, that kind of piques my interest. But I'm with you, I don't know. Travis Knight seems to find himself in these situations where he gets attached to things that don't happen, and I don't know. Um, Yeah, but I mean, you know, to your point, that Crow movie for, what, 15 years? You know, they were like literally days away from filming with Jason Momoa, and then the plug got pulled but hey mm-hmm. that's coming out later this year it's been filmed Lionsgate got the rights so like you know who knows things do eventually happen maybe this is finally that time and he brought I think Travis Knight brought uh, a level of heart to Bumblebee that I appreciated it certainly um at, at that point in the franchise uh, in the uh, uh Transformers franchise um 
you know, revitalizing that in a way. So if he can bring that same sort of, um, I don't know, like human touch, I guess, to a He-Man movie, then like maybe it'll actually be interesting instead of just um, crossing another piece of IP off of a list somewhere, you know, so. um, Totally. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so, geez, so much news to get into here. So uh, Sam Mendes, the director behind 1917 and the James Bond movie Skyfall and a bunch of other stuff, is directing, this just came out this morning, Ryan, this, this announcement. He's directing four movies about one movie about each individual Beatle, the members of the Beatles, the rock band, the Beatles. They are, they are each getting their own movie. And uh, they're, there's not going to be like an Avengers level team up movie, but each one is going to receive their own film. And the uh, I believe these are coming out in 2027 and they have not announced yet exactly how they're going to be released, but they've said something like, you know, it's going to be like a groundbreaking release pattern or release style or something like that. So there's a lot of um, secrecy about exactly how they're going to roll these out. But it's clear that Sam Mendes is going to be making these for the next few years, certainly. Um, so I'm just curious from your perspective, I think uh, I want to say it's Sony that is releasing these. Yes, that's right. So from like a studio perspective, uh, what do you think about committing to four movies, one for each individual beetle. Like, do you think that that is, um, I guess a smart business decision? And then we can talk about like the creative part of it. If you can keep the budget for each one, call it 50 million a piece. So say you're all in for 200 mil, like, which would be your, you know, average gigantic blockbuster, your Avengers movie, say, um, if you look at how much money like Bohemian Rhapsody made, the Beatles are one of the only artists out there that could match that sort of like, you know, sort of global take and global interest. Uh, so yeah, I do. I completely think this makes sense. Now, again, that's assuming that each one doesn't cost like a hundred mil. So yeah, I was just curious about like the creative part of it. Do you think that, um, you know, yes, the biopic has been a very sturdy genre. Um, seems audiences really, under the right circumstances, as we saw with the um, One Love movie that we just talked about, under the right circumstances and the right subject, audiences still flip out for this stuff, regardless of how boring it is to us. You know, people who watch movies all the time, the formulaic sort of uh, tropes that we see over and over and over again. I, like, I could not be more bored at the idea of four more music biopics coming out. But um, what do you think about this? Do you think that there's something inherent to the Beatles and their mythology that like could make this more uh, creatively interesting than some of the other biopics that we've seen in this genre? Without question, but you got to do it right. And I think Sam Mendes is the guy like he's not going to shy away from, and I don't think the Beatles would either, right? Like, I don't think like, you know, I think Paul and, and, and Ringo, being the only two that are left alive, like they would be the first to like allow this story to be told. Right. I would think. And the other thing is, I mean, the music rights are important, right? Like you must have the right. Cause some of these biopics that are made slightly cheaper, like don't have the rights to the actual music. So you're sort of focusing on the person. You can't do that here. You gotta have the music, but I'm assuming Sony has that. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think like, I think it, it's interesting. I think it could run the risk of being like kind of terrible, like if it goes poorly, but mm-hmm. I also see creatively a way to make, the, I mean, the it, it's the Beatles. I don't know. I don't want to be the guy that's like, 
hey, have you heard of the Beatles? They're pretty great and their story's amazing. But like, that's <laughs> true. You know, like, so there's a reason every time a Beatles documentary comes up, even though you think you've seen and heard everything, you'll totally watch it. Like, so I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I think this totally works. And I think if there's any band in history that could warrant like four movies, because each of those guys is someone unto themselves, I think it's this. And yeah, I think Sam Mendes, like if I were to pick anybody to do it, I, he makes a ton of sense to me. So I'm curious, I'm interested. I see the commercialism behind it, which feels a little like, you know, you could you could accuse that of feeling icky, but like I actually think the Beatles being so individualistic, you know, and not having like the Bohemian Rhapsody thing happen where it's like a Freddie Mercury movie with a side of the other members of Queen. Like I would hate to see that happen to like the Beatles. So yeah, you know, like I think it makes sense. I've been on the record as being not really a big Beatles guy. So I, I am definitely in like sort of wait and see mode to see if this is something that I'm even gonna go out and watch at all or like engage with in any way. But um, but I certainly understand that I'm in the minority there and that this could definitely like have huge potential behind it. So uh, we'll have to see how it turns out. Um, speaking of music biopics, though, before we take a break, I wanted to mention one last story that came up last week, which is that Ridley Scott is making a music biopic. So not only do we have these four movies, there's another one in the works. Uh, this is going to be a Bee Gees biopic for Paramount. And Kenneth Branagh was reported to be directing this a couple of years ago. Steven Spielberg was rumored to be directing it way back in 2010. But now uh, Scott, who actually has a personal connection with the Bee Gees, um, he, like back in the 70s, was going to be directing a movie that they were going to be in. And that project ended up falling apart. Evidently, he's been wanting to make something with them or about them ever since. And now that opportunity, I guess, has finally fallen into his lap because uh, Paramount loves Evidently, what they saw from uh, Gladiator 2, the, the f um, footage that they've seen from that, which is coming out later this year, and they wanted to jump on uh, Ridley Scott and get him signed up for his next uh, directorial feature as quickly as possible. So they signed him to uh, this Bee Gees movie, and it seems like the lure of the music biopic is so strong, Ryan, that even legendary filmmakers like Ridley Scott cannot escape uh, the, you know, the, the tractor beam pull of it. So what do you make of him stepping into this genre for the first time in his career? Ridley Scott, I know we've talked about this in the podcast. Ridley Scott is one of my guys. Like he's one of my like Mount Rushmore guys. And Ridley Scott is, I think, 82. Um, So I know he's only got a couple more in him is my thing. And I'm like, if Ridley Scott was like, even like 70, I'd be like, heck yeah, give me a Bee Gees biopic. Why not? But now like thinking that this could be his last, I'm like, it's harder for me because I don't, I'm not invested in the Bee Gees. So like, I'm like, but I, I'll see anything he does. So I'm like, of course I'm into it on that level that it's really Scott doing it. But it is interesting. You know, it's interesting that like he's, he's got to know, right. He's got to know that like, he's only got a couple more. And so I'm interested in the idea that he would be so interested in this knowing that's probably the case. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm of two minds about it, but I feel like Ridley Scott's going to make like 15 more movies before he dies. I just feel like he moves. So that's quickly. my hope. <laughs> that's my yeah. hope. I hope he's Clint Eastwood and I hope he just keeps going. But I, I just like, I, I will never forget. I was listening to a podcast with William Shatner and this is even like 10 years ago, but he's like 92 now or something. But he, but he was talking about what, what sucks when you get into like your eighties, He's like, anytime you feel a little weird, you go, is this it? Because you're just, you know, like you, if you have any like se sense about your own mortality, you know, it's like, you just know, like there's no guarantees after a certain point. And 
I want Ridley Scott to live to be 150. I want him to outlive me, but you know, in the realm of reality, I'm not sure. So yeah. we'll see. I hope, I hope you're right, but it's just every time he signs on to something now, I'm like, it, what if this is, you know, it's like, I feel the same way with Michael Mann right now. I'm just like, please make heat two before, you know, I don't know, but so we'll see. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm anything Ridley Scott touches, even if it was something I felt like I was violently uninterested in, I would suddenly become interested because he's doing it. All right. Strong words, Ryan. Okay. So we are going to talk about a bunch of Marvel stuff right after this break. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, so last week, the uh, Fantastic Four cast had been finally confirmed, Ryan. Like, there have been tons of rumors about each person in this cast. Uh, I think Pedro Pascal had been officially announced, um, but there had been rumors that Vanessa Kirby was going to be playing uh, Sue Storm slash Sue Richards slash The Invisible Woman. And uh, who else? Um, uh, uh, Joseph Quinn uh, from Stranger Things season four was going to be playing Johnny Storm slash the Human Torch. And the Bear star, Evan Moss Backrack, was going to be playing Ben Grimm slash the Thing. And now Marvel has finally actually confirmed that, hey, yes, all of these things that have been floating around the internet for a long time, these are actually true. Uh, this movie is coming out in 2025. And not only this, but they sort of uh, released this like Valentine's Day card almost online that has these characters in a 1960s setting, which seems to strongly hint that the movie is going to be a period piece that takes place in that time period. Uh, the logo of the movie also has that sort of um, classic 60s vibe to it as well. So what do you make of this, Ryan? Like this has been whispered about for a while, but what do you think about the idea that this is now official? Uh, I would just like to point out that it was we here at Slash Film who uh, helped confirm that uh, Pedro Pascal was going to be our Reed Richards. So, you know, just but anyway, um, uh, uh, aside from that, um, I don't much care for the Fantastic Four. I read a, I've read a lot of comics in my day and I and I like Reed Richards is like a a side player in some of like the Avengers stories I've read in like the Illuminati miniseries, which was one of my favorite things marvel i've ever read but i've never been able to like get into the fantastic four like those comics as a group divorced of everything else um that said the 60s setting is fascinating and interesting and that immediately makes it like different and stand out and matt shackman who is supposed to direct this like even though i didn't love wandavision what he was able to do with those period settings like indicates to me this is the right thing to do 
that said, Peyton Reed is probably pretty upset. Uh, if, if For those of you who don't know, Peyton Reed pitched a 60-set Fantastic Four movie something like 15, 20 years ago, um, yeah. and, and it didn't go anywhere. And so, you know, Peyton Reed directing three Ant-Man movies and then watching Matt Shackman direct his Fantastic Four movie. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I like the cast. I mean, I think like I, I haven't, re- I didn't watch Stranger Things, so I don't know much of Joseph Quinn, but um, Vanessa Kirby, similar to Ridley Scott at this point, is like, oh, she's in something great. I will totally watch it. Uh, you know, so I think that's a, a great choice for Sue Storm. And yeah, I think it's, I, I, I like the cast. I like the 60s setting. This movie has been bounced around a bit over the last four years. So, you know, it presumably it seems like production is actually going to start here soon. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm now interested because of the 60s setting and the cast, even though I'm not like a big fantastic four guy. So we'll see. Yeah. I find myself very much in the same boat. Like don't really, I, I didn't really read a bunch of fantastic four comics growing up or anything. And the movies obviously have not been great. Like none of them, they've really not, hit a fantastic four movie out of the park yet so which seems like such a um you know from my perspective seems like such a thing that they would want to devote all the resources that they could into making all of those movies as great as possible but it just seems like that was not really what happened uh, along the way for various reasons the josh trank 2015 movie being like a huge famous or infamous disaster um which you can read all about the the making of that on slash film we covered that uh very much in depth as all of that was going down but um yeah I, i'm i'm like curious and i like this cast and the 60s setting certainly seems like and, and this uh frankly this announcement of this and like the uh the sort of valentine's day card and the sort of like fun presentation of this seems to have shown some like creative vision behind a Marvel thing, which is like sorely needed these days. And so I'm glad that that exists, uh, even though, yes, I do feel sort of bad for Peyton Reed. Um, And I'm very curious to know what he says about this eventually, because I feel like somebody has got to ask him something Um, and he's got to, he's got to say something about it at some point. So uh, anyway, um, speaking of, of projects that have sort of been bounced around a little bit though, Thunderbolts, which is a movie we've talked about a lot on this podcast, has gotten a release date, a new release date, Ryan, and it's actually moving up on the calendar, which is kind of shocking. I think you reacted pretty strongly to that in our Slack channel when that uh, news dropped. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Thunderbolts um, is a project we've talked about quite a bit. Again, I I, I can show you the receipts in our Slack channel. It was like... two two years ago a little over two years ago when the movie first came to light the day that news broke i was the only one in our slack i was like they're making a thunderbolts movie and everybody's like what are you talking about because like you know like no no, i guess nobody else really knew and i was super excited about uh, this prospect and um but this movie's kind of bounced around a lot it's had a you know we've talked a lot about the casting stuff as of late you know stephen young dropping out and and other people trying to fill that role and and um uh yeah, so, um, but yeah, it moved up to May 2nd, which was, because uh, um, ta- Jul- uh, Jul- that July 25th date that it had been on next year is where Fantastic Four is going to come out. So it moved up a couple of months, but that also was a truncated schedule because that, that means now, because it hasn't started filming yet, that means it's got to start filming like now, I think, pretty much like if it's if it's not already. Um We'll see. I, this is and this is also supposed to be the end of Phase Five. Thunderbolts was originally announced as the the final film of Phase Five. So I don't even know what that means anymore for the MCU. To be frank, like it used to feel like these phases ending, like you know, were big events. And I, I don't know, but um, uh, 
We'll see. I I I want this movie to be so good. I, I want to love this movie. I want to be excited about this movie. I'm so excited about Sentry coming to live action, but I, I just I don't know. Um, I, I'm it's tough because like even like I don't like the version of Taskmaster we got in Black Widow, and that now is the version of Taskmaster we're stuck with, and and so that there's just things that. But we'll see. I mean, the, the fact that they were willing to move it up on the calendar says they must have finally gotten something right. So I don't know. But yeah, uh, trying not yeah. to be negative about it. But I, I, it is hard for me to feel overly optimistic about this one, given the entire picture of it. Yeah. And given the state of superhero movies in general right now and Marvel specifically, I mean, it just sort of feels like they're definitely in a creative rut right now. So like maybe um, that'll be the project that, that sort of helps get them out of it and get them back on track. I don't know. It feels like we've been saying that for a little while now um, and it just hasn't really come to pass yet. So uh, yeah, I, I'm curious if like audiences truly are out on this stuff, even though Thunderbolts actually does have a pretty great cast still lined up. I mean, David Harbour and Florence Pugh and a bunch of other people are still, you know, likable actors are involved in this thing. So if it's like, uh, if the movie tanks, it's not going to be because people don't like these actors. It's just going to be, I think, because they're sick of the larger superhero stuff in general, or maybe just like they they don't buy into this concept or whatever it is. So um, we'll have to, yeah, put a pin in that and wait until this comes out. But uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, Ryan, is that the trailer for X-Men 97 came out. And I grew up watching the 90s X-Men animated series. I was just wondering what your relationship was to that original show and if you're excited about X-Men 97. My memory of it, and your memories when you're that young aren't perfect, my memory is that X-Men, the animated series, and Spider-Man, the animated series, were the things that kicked off my love of superheroes and comic books. And... um. I think one of the things I didn't like when I got a little bit older, when comic books came back into vogue a little bit, is that like people were like snooty about like the comic books being like the sacred texts. And like, if you got into it some other way, it was like, eh. but like, to me, this was my gateway. Like this was what got me there. Like I love Cyclops and I had like this giant, like in my head, cause I'm like a six year old. Like I had this gigantic Cyclops figure. It was probably like six inches tall or whatever, but like, mm -hmm. you know, and I loved it and I had like these cool, like other X-Men toys and I loved it. And this was like my, like, this is how I fell in love with Gambit. This is like, I don't know. Like, this is how I was first introduced to Days of Future Past because they did like that two episode adaptation, one of the greatest comic book stories ever made. And just like, so I love this. Show. And like the, man, that trailer was awesome. Like, I'm just like, it was <laughs> so good to see like, I, I'm sure like I and a bunch of other people did. I immediately started rewatching the 90s show, getting ready for this. Like I've been throwing it on in the background while I've been working and stuff. And it's just like, Oh, I'm just I'm this is like the first Marvel thing in a minute where I've been like really straight up hyped about it. And this trailer's great. And I don't know. I just I think it's really cool. And and like it's nice to get this excited. And it also feels like somewhat low stakes, right? Like it doesn't feel super connected to everything else. Like I can enjoy this on its own terms, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know how you felt about it having watched the show growing up, but that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I have not re-engaged with the animated series since I was a kid. Um, but yeah, obviously, just like a flood of nostalgia and and um, memories of watching that show and, um, you know, watching this trailer. I was very impressed with the look that they were able to achieve, which is like very similar, but definitely like updated. And, and um, it just looks like they have the characterizations right. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be like fully on board with this. It comes out March 20th, so a month from today. Um I just have to say, Ryan, like I, I, as much as I was like impressed by this, I just know myself and I know that 
it's going to be years before I watch this thing. Like I want to be in that scenario where I'm like as excited to watch it that I like sit down with the rest of the world or, you know, the rest of the fans and, and like consume this all, you know, as it is released or whatever. But like, I'm still a season behind on Harley Quinn, which is a show that I've loved for years. And I just like, haven't found the time to watch that. So I just know that like, you know, practically speaking, there's no way that I'm going to watch this anytime soon. So that's where I am with it. But, uh, but I, I hope that it's as good as this trailer indicates. And I hope that like people who grew up watching the show, uh, end up loving this. And it seems like, you know, certainly a, um, a, uh, piece of connective tissue that is actually like warranted and, and, um, uh, yeah, like could be creatively interesting as opposed to just like, Hey, here's a legacy sequel for something that, you know, people have kind of forgotten about or doesn't really, uh, strike the public consciousness in the same way. This definitely seems to have scratched an itch for a lot of people, at least from the, the response that I saw to it online of people being like, exactly like you said, you know, who had this show as a gateway and now have like the continuing adventures, which is a rare thing. It's not, it's not like, Hey, here's this show 20 years later or whatever. It seems to be picking up right when, you know, when the original left off, that's like the whole premise behind it. So, um, yeah, just a very cool thing that they're doing. And I'm glad that people have like invested resources into this and I'm glad that the storytelling seems to be on point. So, um, I hope it, it ends up as, uh, as good as it can be, but um, I don't know if you have any, any other thoughts about that before we wrap up for the day. No, I think we've uh, I think we've droned on enough today, Ben. I think we can let the people go. All right. Well, that sounds good. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find more about all these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. Uh, we'll link to a bunch of them in the show notes. I encourage people to read those as always. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure you're to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread. With incredible taste and texture, Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.